It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a great weekend full of lots of parties and get-togethers. It seems like all of America is making up for lost time, and I'm so glad about it. Don't let this whole Delta variant affect you. Uh, Keep living your lives. My goodness, it seems like... Uh, People seem to be invested in somehow restricting people. Um, uh, I guess the only thing really left is to find out what schools are going to be like in September. And we can get the masks off when you go on planes or in airports. That will be the next big goal. But we'll see about that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Taliban are laughing it up. And why not? The Taliban have taken control of most of Afghanistan in just weeks, often without firing a shot. Afghan troops are surrendering, handing over posts and weapons. Embarrassing and undeniable. Leaving Afghanistan the way we're doing it is a flat-out mistake. And it's all because of President Biden's gut feeling. Where is the Republican condemnation? As Chris Christie said on Sunday, they all seem scared. Number two. For all you kids down there, I was once a child with a dream, looking up to the stars. To the next generation of dreamers, if we can do this, just imagine what you can do. I just loved it. Uh, The Billionaire Boys Club gives a civilian space race we all can benefit from. How Richard Branson changed the game while Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos plan to take it up a notch while socialist icon Bernie Sanders mocks the competition because some people are poor with bad health insurance. We'll debate it. Number one. Do you think the priorities of national Democrats uh, may have been misplaced? Uh, yes, I, I, I do. I believe uh, those priorities, uh, they really were uh, misplaced. And it's almost uh, insulting what we have witnessed over the last uh, few years. I can't believe what I was hearing, uh, and I hope it's true. Eric Adams on misplaced priorities of Democrats. Remember, crime matters. We've been telling you that. The Dems are in a panic mode because now the polls revealed we were all right. President Biden speaks on crime today and meets with Eric Adams and others today. He's the New York City likely mayoral primary. He is the winner and likely to be the next mayor of New York City. Uh, It looks like the defund the police crowd has a reality problem. Are the Dems beginning to realize Americans want law and order and the people that need law and order are the most vulnerable, the working class. And those are the ones who are in the uh, line of fire. I was staggered to see and heartened to a degree that the, you know, the rich areas in New York City seem fine. Very few, you know, there's carjacking, some more burglaries, but for the most part, they're unhurt by this pandemic rising crime, unhurt by the Black Lives Matter protests. You know who's hurt? These working class areas, the places that are most vulnerable, that need the most protection. People want to work their way out of those areas in many respects. And Eric Adams came up in those areas. For 22 years, he was a captain, rose to a captain in uh, the NYPD. He was a big critic of the police, said he was treated poorly as a young black uh, man, a young black kid, and he wanted to change things when he got in there. He was very critical. So people like Ray Kelly and others were critical right back at Eric Adams. And he went into politics, state senator, then borough president. And now he changed 
he changed from a guy who was concerned with transportation and education in New York to law and order. And he won. Does that show America wants law and order more than they care about party politics? I hope. Cut one. I believe for the first time we're going to see a coordinated effort between the president, the governor, the mayor uh, to go um, after the flow of guns in our city. We're going to see the re- of make of a anti-gun unit that's going to do precision policing, focusing on gangs and guns. We're going to have a coordinated effort uh, to ensure our gun suppression unit receives the resources they deserve. And then uh, we're going to be extremely uh, comfortable with going to our judges and stating we can't have people who uh, participate in gun violence and they're out the next day. That's unacceptable. We need to send a clear message that our streets are going to be safe. And I get the sense he's going hard against Cuomo. About time. He's the one who did this whole bail reform thing. He's the one who's getting rid of immunity in New York. He's for keeping qualified immunity back in New York. He said, you know, if you're chasing down a suspect who's got a gun and you happen to shoot a civilian, obviously by mistake, and you're a cop, you should not get sued. However, if you're abusing the privilege that the badge gives you, that should be a problem, and you should have the union cooperate on that. He is for that. I'm heartened by that. It's a reality check, and I'm I'm willing to— I have hope, but I'm not going to buy in unless I see it. He's got to be Curtis Lewa, and then he's got to do some of the things he's saying. But don't act as though President Biden is on your side. The law and order of President Biden, when he's Senator Biden, is gone. All he talks about is the victims. And all he talks about is the guns and the manufacturers. He doesn't talk about the criminals, and that's the issue. One last thing from Eric Adams, cut to. And it's possible. They go together. You can have public safety and reform. I know it. Uh, I testified in federal court about the overabuse of stop and frisk. Uh, I led the call with the organization I started and other civil rights leaders. So what we must do, we must send the right message to our police departments. We have some amazing officers. We're going to say, I have your back, but you're going to have the back of the public, and we're going to rid out those officers that should not be part of the noble profession of public safety. Listen, you can say what you want, but how many people do you know have spent 22 years in law enforcement? Okay? You can only be so left if you're in law enforcement. And you don't become captain if you're bad at it. I know about all the conflicts. I don't know the details, but I know about the conflicts between the commissioners here. I get it. But it, there's a, the fingers are crossed. They, he looks at the practicality of the situation, the people that are most vulnerable— and it's not just a black and white situation. You don't walk around and say the white supremacy is the issue and cops have to be reimagined. But here's his problem. Eric Adams is an anomaly. He'll lose and Pelosi loses the squad if she signs on to, uh, to this doctrine, even if he's mouthing the words and doesn't mean it. Nobody on the left, far left wants it. And without the far left, you do not have a solid party, sadly. In terms of the votes, especially in the House. And they're looking at police reform now, though that's really having trouble getting out of the blocks. And just so you know, I think this is resonating. I think Reverend Al Sharpton even said it. Of all things, cut five. It is just as biased to act like it is normal 
to see a hundred people shot in Chicago over the weekend, and it's like, okay, that's them, that's how they act. That is racist in its nature, to act like that this kind of behavior is what people expect out of us, which means they don't see us as full human beings, to have children that are going to grow up and be productive, that have grandmothers that should in their last years not have to worry about is a bullet going to fly through the window. So I think the media must be just... So that's interesting. Right? Just as dealing you know, with, we get uh, we get the gist of it. That I'm I'm fine with that, Eric, uh, because we just got that's Al Sharpton. It's just as biased to say that people in the inner city and in low income areas don't want law and order. They hate the cops. It's just not true. And it's biased to things. I agree with him. I can't believe I'm saying that. I really agree with him. That's the closest you have Al Sharpton saying black on black crime is an issue. Next, space race. What a what a relief. To go to New Mexico, go to Truth and Consequences, New Mexico, I think that's the town, and watch Richard Branson on a space plane, and they know they lost someone a few years ago on the same experiment. They go up in a plane, and then they blast off on this plane into the sky. They go 50, uh, 50 miles above the Earth into space. They, free, they have zero gravity. They come down. The plane lands, and everything's reusable. This is pretty significant. Now, would you pay six hundred thousand for that? Well, if six hundred thousand felt like sixty bucks, and that means you're a multi-billionaire, yeah, yeah, I'd pay that absolutely. Richard Branson, seventy-something years old, he went and did it. It shows you civilians can do it. I guess he played a small role, but for the most part, his job was to look out. Now, having said that, Jeff Bezos says, I'm going to try that. Elon Musk has SpaceX. He's already bringing people back and forth to the space station, combining with all the infrastructure of NASA. As uh, I think that the um, uh, the, so did Richard Branson, and now you have next week uh, Jeff Bezos will do something. He think he goes 65 miles. I think they go a little bit different. They will blast off. They will not fly out. Bernie Sanders sees nothing but problems with this. He said, here on Earth, in the richest country in the world, half our people live paycheck to paycheck. People are struggling to feed themselves, struggling to see a doctor. But, hey, the rich and smartest guys in the world are often out of space, tax billionaires. You know how many people they employ in doing that? Do you know how much will they? Uh, do you know how much? Uh, in a, how many people they were inspired by doing this? How much more civilian you could all have another section of the economy? Civilian space travel, which by the way you could tax, and then you have rich people using their resources to help the country and help the world. I have no problem with that. Do you? Am I jealous of that? I didn't think it would be a problem, but some people only see socialism. And see the rich having fun. Now, if if uh, Richard Branson hops in a blue and wants to go around the world, I, I don't know. That's that's feeding his ego. But when you try to set up civilian space travel and take the risk yourself in doing it and go over, do this over the course of 20-plus years in the middle of the desert where it's 120 degrees and you lose the lives of, of somebody and you have to go back and, and do it again, and then you see them achieve their goal, what is wrong with that? They're special people. They, they have a gene that we don't – that I don't have – And I'm so glad they have it because of their risks. Then soon that'll become everyday living for so many people. Here's uh, Richard Branson's reaction after the flight. Cut eight. 99.99% was beyond my wildest dreams. I mean, it's um, impossible to describe. um, Well, I should try. But, I mean, you know, what it's like, uh, you know, going from... Uh, naught to three Mac in in um, uh, in seven or eight seconds, and and then 
you know, as you go into space, um, it, it just, the, the views are breathtaking. I mean, I'm definitely still up there. We're going to come down with a big thump soon. <laughs> anyway, it's, uh, it's so, 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 so thrilling when a sort of lifetime's dream comes true. I mean, why, why do you have to bring up class warfare when you just have somebody who's took great risks in his life, continues to do it and test himself? Just understand, that's the smartest kid in the class you're in. Those are the ones taking risks. I, I appreciate that. Why can't you appreciate other people's uh, assets and attributes? Uh, it looks like, so as I mentioned, Jeff Bezos said they're definitely in competition. They won't admit it. But Elon Musk seems to be more of a supporter. He's going for something different. He's got a different focus on space travel. I think he wants to make it into the moon. And my goodness, you're going to doubt Elon Musk. He has paid, evidently, to be one of the passengers, uh, maybe even the next flight. So think about that. Blue Origin. Uh, the tweet from Bezos was uh, from Blue Origin. Here we go. From the beginning, um, New Shep- this is about the Blue Origin, which will be going up next week. Uh, Blue Origin, from the beginning, New Shepard was designed to fly above the uh, Carmen line. So, not, uh, so none of our astronauts have an asterisk next to their name. For 96% of the world's population, space begins at 100 kilometers up the internationally recognized uh, Carmen line. That's like over 60 miles. I get it. Uh, Bezos is, is uh, to take place about 200 miles southeast of uh, Spaceport America in Van Horn, Texas, where his rocket company, Blue Origin, launches its New Shepard rocket. Uh, and although Blue Origin has yet to fly any people, 15 unsuccessful, unscrewed tests of the fully automated system convinced the company it would be safe to put Jeff Bezos and his brother on the first flight with people aboard. Keep in mind, he does it. Become safe for everybody else. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Do you believe it was a waste of time? Billionaire Boys Club gone at it. Do you think that that wasn't inspirational to many? I think it is, and I think it's going to open up a whole uh, a whole new part of our economy. Why wouldn't you think so? Uh, and I think it's great for NASA too. Puts pressure on the federal government to continue to fund uh, a trip to Mars, and we need it uh, because China is there and they're right there. When we come back. The folly of leaving Afghanistan the way we're doing it. Don't tell me that Trump was going to do it anyway. Not like this. Back in a moment. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to Ken Rusk. 
KenRusk.com slash path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com slash path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're certainly watching with uh, deep concern, Chris, the deteriorating security situation and the violence, which is, of course, way too high, and, and the advances and the, t- and the momentum that the Taliban seems to have right now. I mean, we're not, we're not unmindful of that, Chris. We're, we're watching it and monitoring it, uh, which is why we are, again, working with our Afghan partners to encourage them to use the capacity and the capability that we know they have, and we know that they know how to defend their country. This is a time for them to step up and to do exactly that. I feel bad for Admiral Kirby. He knows different. Every, every military person was against the way you're pulling out. You could sit there at home and say it's about time 20 years, but it's too simple. It's like saying, well, the Jets, it's about time they win the Super Bowl. We waited long enough since 1969. Well, what are you going to do about it? So if you want to get out, you don't just get out. There's a way to get out. Just pulling people out in the middle of the night, not promising an Air Force, not working out the interpreter. By the way, it's haphazard at the very least to be kind. Not working out a way to get your interpreters and allies out, which, by the way, if things worked out, they should want to stay in Afghanistan that they helped settle. Number two is can you gradually pull out the Air Force? Do you have to pull them out the same day? The latest, the, the, they say we have over-the-horizon capability. Evidently, it's 800 miles. We're gonna, it's going to take hours to help out should something take, come down. And the Taliban is taking province after province, and they're laying down their weapons because there's no leadership because we've been their leaders and we left overnight. It's the way we're doing it. And that's what Governor Chris Christie said. We know that Trump wanted to do it. But it doesn't mean the Republicans have to be quiet and watch this mess. Cut 15. The lesson learned is coming, because I do think this is a mistake not to leave 3,000, 3,500 troops there. I think it's a mistake. Uh, The fact is that if the Taliban retakes, which I think most military experts believe they will. It's already happening. Right. uh, That we once again find ourselves, you know, I, I heard the president just saying, you know, we can't live in a world as if it was 20 years ago. Well, he's going to make it the world that's 20 years ago by pulling these troops out. Um, we're going to rewrite history one more time again that could become a den and a nest for, uh, for terrorists. And I will tell you, as the, the U.S. attorney in New Jersey um, right after 9-11, um, we don't want to live that life again. We don't. Here's more from Christie. Cut 16. And let me be clear. I think Trump was wrong, too. I think he was wrong to to negotiate with the Taliban. I think it was a mistake. The Taliban is not a credible force to negotiate with. So I'm with you. I'm not trying to pin this on President Obama or President Biden exclusively. Trump deserves some of the blame here, too. It's going to come back to bite us. I don't know how long it's going to take, but it's going to come back. Well, listen, General Keene and Lindsey Graham both told me separately that the one thing about President Trump, they know the spirit of what he wanted to do, but they tell him this is how to do it, and he'd be open to it. He would be open to it. He does not believe Trump would have left this situation the way he did. And evidently, he answered that. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Question two, and do you know Joe Biden has almost nobody siding with him that it was his gut that told him to pull out the way he's doing it? And he's all over the place. Oh, it didn't work. It did work. We achieved our goals. We didn't achieve our goals. Which one is it? Put it in the prompter or tell him. Whisper in his ear or put it on one of his cards. 
And I, I, everybody who has remained quiet, who knows better, that doesn't work for President Biden. I know if you're in an impossible situation, if you're Admiral Kirby, he knows different. But what's he supposed to do? He's State Department spokesman. He's going to in there and said, well, it was up to me and I was still in uniform. I'd want to stay and work it out. And keep in mind, not a hot war. Nobody's died this year there, thankfully. No one died. I think one person died last year. On a, They said it was a rogue act. So you had a situation where by being there, we had stability and bought some time, certainly for the women. I know you don't you can't free women around the world. We don't want to do that, even the Me Too era. But all these women are going to be ripped out of schools. The burger's going to go back on. And we have to act like no big deal. It is a big deal. Uh, when we come back, Jake Beckett will be with us. He's running for Congress. Guy was a New England Patriot star and a veteran in the U.S. Army. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. The Taliban are laughing it up in this video reposted by a Kabul police spokesman. And why not? The Taliban have taken control of most of Afghanistan in just weeks, often without firing a shot. Afghan troops are surrendering, handing over posts and weapons. The Taliban give each soldier the equivalent of $80, pocket money for the trip home. The United States spent more than $80 billion to train and equip Afghan security forces. The return on investment so far is low. Wow, return on investment so far not good. Uh, it's not okay. This was all preventable. This is a self-inflicted wound. Joining us now is Jack, uh, Jake Beckett, uh, GOP candidate for Senate in Arkansas, former defensive end for the New England Patriots, and veteran of the U.S. Army of the 101st Airborne Division. Uh, Jake, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Great so, to be on with you. Hey, Jake, what seat uh, are you uh, vying for? Uh, U.S. Senate in the state of Arkansas. So, um, okay, so it's not the House. It's for the Senate. First off, what's your reaction to the way we're leaving Afghanistan? Well, first and foremost, I deployed to Iraq with the 101st Airborne Division. Um, I, I know what it's like to be in a, a failed Middle Eastern state. And, you know, look, we have to there, – there's a balance to be struck here. Right between de- de- protecting and defending the homeland against radical Islamic terrorism, um, but then also not engaging in nation building. We've been there for over 20 years. Um, you know, the the some of my best friends in the world in the army have have served and fought in Afghanistan. Um, and, and look, it's it's a shame to see the country falling apart, but it's it's been 20 years. And I think we can protect the homeland, serve our interests as a country um, by keeping some troops in the region. Um, but I do not think we should be staying there for uh, additional decades on end. Don't you think gradually pulling out would have made more sense? Maybe the Air Force, we gradually start paying less and less uh, for the soldiers, say this is the schedule in which we're doing it. But by giving a definite day out, it has fueled the Taliban in a way that's getting massive recruiting. Look, I understand what you're saying. I think the withdrawal could have been uh, done in a more phased and regulated manner. But, look, it's been 20 years. And if the Afghans aren't going to be able to support and defend their own country now, um, you know, I'm not sure if uh, you know, an additional six months or a year would make much of a difference. I mean, we have to keep our focus, keep our eye on the ball on defeating terrorism, protecting the homeland. 
but also we can't get sucked into uh, to more Middle Eastern wars because we have to keep our eye on China, Russia, uh, the peer and near-peer threats that are facing this country in the future. If you want to keep your eye on China and Russia, wouldn't it be great to have a base between them? Yeah, absolutely. We have to, to maintain our, our regional uh, influence in the area. Uh, and you're exactly right. I mean, we can keep we can keep a small force that's asymmetrically effective in the region uh, that can protect the homeland, that can send the, the correct signal to, to Russia and China without engaging in nation building. So uh, the number one issue, I think, in this country is crime. And if you don't believe it, what is Joe Biden talking about today? Crime. What is he doing? Uh, why did Eric Adams win the Democratic nomination for mayor of New York City? Crime. Where does it rank for you, Jake? It, it's right near the top, Brian. Violent crime is, is a scourge upon this country. Um, and it's been disgraceful to see uh, Democrats go, go so radical and try to institute just insane policies like defund the police. Look, we should, be, we should be adding more police. We should be strengthening law enforcement. We should be supporting our police officers and first responders. Okay, we can't have this system of turnstile justice where violent criminals and felons uh, you know, get arrested and then are released on either zero bail or low bail. Okay, it's a revolving door. You're seeing what's happening in our cities all across the country. It's totally unacceptable. And look, one of the things I want to lead on in Washington is stepping up and securing our cities and defeating violent crime. That would be something that people took for granted because crime has been heading in the right direction for the longest time. We would say the New York, for example, the safest city now is anything but. Then you look at Seattle and uh, Seattle and Portland, Oregon, and you see crime up uh, almost uh, 700%. It's a crisis I didn't think I was going to see in my lifetime. But I'm wondering, do you think that if you spend a year saying to fund the police, reimagine the police, you have credibility if it says now you back the police? No, it, it's insane to see the radical left try to try to all of a sudden point the finger at Republicans as if we're the ones who want to defund the police. That, that's totally ridiculous. They've been saying it for a year. I'm sure they're seeing the polling. Uh, they want to distance themselves from this issue as, as quickly as they can, but we can't allow that to happen. The American people know the truth. The American people know that Democrats and the radical left are trying to cripple law enforcement make it easier for violent felons to uh, get out of prison uh, more rapidly and get back onto the streets. Look, that's unacceptable. And, and if you go back into our you know, not-so-distant past in this country, there was bipartisan support for, uh, you know, for reducing violent crime, for supporting police, you know, the mid-'90s crime bill. Um, you know, we have to get back to – I think that's a bipartisan solution that you know, both parties are realizing it's a serious issue right now. Jake, why do you think this is the right time for you to run? Because, I mean, through your whole life, you do, you, you, you know, you go to your own set of goals. So uh, almost the time when Colin Kaepernick was taking a knee, you decided instead of going for another football contract, I'll go into the Army. And then when you're out of the Army, I think I'm going to go into politics. What's spurring this move? Well, I've always felt called, Brian, to, to be where the fight is. And that's why... You know, when I left the NFL, I, I decided to wear the uniform and serve my country uh, with the 101st Airborne Division. And, and look, when I got back from deployment in Iraq and I saw what was happening in this country over the past year, 18 months, look, I, I realized that my service wasn't finished and that the fight is it's no longer really on a distant battlefield in Iraq. It's, it's here. It, it's amongst us. It's political. And I want to be where the fight is. I'm going to get in the fight, and I'm going to fight for the conservative values that our Kansans and millions of Americans care about. It's kind of interesting, and I'll bring you to this. Matt Damon uh, from an area used to work in, New England, 
uh, he was talking to Variety. He's got a movie coming out called Stillwater, and he has to play an oil worker in Oklahoma. We had two great affiliates, including KRMG over in Tulsa. And he says it was the first time he was exposed to Republicans. Listen to what he said and tell me if you uh, – I just want to get your assessment. Cut 39. Oklahoma is, I think, I think was the reddest state <clears throat> in the last two elections. Um, and you talk to those roughnecks, they're always going to vote. I mean, they're in the oil business. Their livelihood depends on that. He is who he is, and he's from where he's from, and the movie has a lot of empathy for him, and so do we. These guys don't apologize for who they are or what they believe ever. Do you own a gun? Yeah, I got two. Being invited into, into their homes, into, into you know, a, a backyard barbecue, and a guitar comes out, and somebody starts singing church songs. And it's, like, it's a culturally very specific place and very different from how he and I grew up. So it's really eye-opening for me. I mean, there's nothing he described that was was uh, surprised me about Oklahoma. We've been there a number of times. We have uh, we have so many listeners there. We're thankful, but he is. I'm surprised that it's such a foreign country to him. Everything that he just described is so foreign. Does it surprise you from a guy who used to work for the Patriots? No, it it does. And you know what he's describing sounds like Arkansas too. You know, which is right there by Oklahoma, and we share the same values and you know very similar culture, traditional American values that you know we grew up on. And look, I'm an American patriot, and those are the kind of things that, you know, we take for granted. Um, but some people in, you know, coastal areas of this country, are, they're so far detached from that now. Uh, you know, we, we just have so few uh, common bonds, um, and it's very disturbing to see. When you look at race and you see how everything's race, you know, if you say something a little different, well, there's, there's racial tinge, you're a white supremacist. Uh, or you're, uh, you should admit that you're an oppressor or oppressed. That's what everything's about. Can you, is that what it's like in your locker room, the locker rooms you've been in your whole life? No, absolutely not. And that's, that's the beauty of you know, having a, a sports background and a military background. I've been very blessed to have both because those two institutions are, are true meritocracies. Neither is perfect. But, look, when you, when you go into a football locker room or you know, into an infantry platoon, you know, you're, there, there's no color. You know, the only thing that matters is, you know, is, is, is you're a part of the team. You're, you're working together towards a common goal to achieve a mission. Uh, you know, it's all about performance and camaraderie. And I think the country could, would do well to, to remember those lessons and to learn the lessons uh, that traditionally have been imbued by, by sports and the military. Did you come across the CRT training when you were in the military? And are you disturbed that it's there now, if, if not? No, I, I did not. I mean, I was very blessed to have President Trump as my commander-in-chief for my entire tenure, and, you know, that kind of nonsense was not part of the military. It's very disturbing to see that happening now under President Biden, and I'm, I'm very disturbed to see CRT and, you know, a lot of this, uh, you know, racially tinged ideology uh, coming into a place that, that truly has no, um, you know, it, it shouldn't be there in the first place. So, but one thing that I will lead on in Washington is, you know, calling this out for what it is. It's anti-American. It's racist. And look, we have to. The, the military should be, be focused on lethality and performance, and nothing else. That's all that matters. Jake Beckett, our guest, uh, played for the Patriots, served in the Army, 101st. Now he's going to be running for a Senate seat in uh, in Arkansas. Jake, you, I don't know what it was like. Where did you grow up in Arkansas? Yeah, I grew up in Arkansas, Brian. Born and raised. Uh, my, my dream was to play football for the Hogs. My my grandfather, dad, and uncle all played football for the Hogs before me, and so I just wanted to be the, right. you know, the, the, the fourth in a row and, and not screw up the family legacy. <laughs> you didn't. 
So I know in New York, we learned all about civil rights uh, reform. We all learned about the horror of segregation and Jim Crow and black codes and civil war, what it was about and the transition. We heard all of that. Did you get that in the South? That that or was it a war against the states? Don't believe what the North is saying. No, no, absolutely. I mean, we, we got, you know, American history for what it is. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's our it's our history. It's our shared history. Are we a perfect country? No, but this is the greatest country on the face of the earth. And it, it just it makes me sick to see, you know, this 1619 project, this woke ideology, people trying to rewrite history uh, you know, in a manner that seems more fitting for the French Revolution. That's just totally unacceptable. Um, you know, we have to teach true American history. Uh, people have to understand the, the lessons that we've learned over the years and also just the greatness of this country, the things we've overcome, the strides we've made to form a more perfect union. And, you know, look, it's, it's never perfect. It can always get more, more uh, you know, more perfect. But I'm proud to be an American, and I think every, uh, you know, child and young adult in this country should be too. I, I think that if you were wondering what kind of inspiration we are around the world and the people who are dying to get in here, literally dying to get in isn't enough uh, of proof for you. Look what's happening in Cuba. They're chanting for freedom, holding American flags. I mean, what other who else has is, is inspiring people uh, who are want to aspire for freedom than the United States of America? Yeah, it, it's not just Cuba. It, it's Hong Kong. It's Venezuela. I mean, the, the American flag is a symbol of, of liberty, of hope, of, of what you know, mankind can achieve. And that's what should be taught in our schools. I mean, that's, that's what the people of this country have to understand, is that that's what we're fighting for. The people around the world see that tragically, in, in some cases, more than we do nowadays. And that's, to me, that's unacceptable. And we have to fight back and, and, and take back our classrooms and our institutions of higher learning before it's too late. Absolutely. So, uh, Jake, how, if people want to support your run, where do they go? Go to jakebeckett.com. That's our website, jakebeckett.com. Join the fight with us today. Uh, we could not be more excited to get started. And it's B-E-Q-U-E-T-T-E, even though it uh, sounds yep. like Beckett. Yeah, J-A-K-E-B-E-Q-U-E-T-T-E.com. And who do you think will be the starting quarterback uh, this year for the Patriots? <laughs> It's going to be a battle. You know, I wouldn't bet against Coach Belichick on anything. Um, I think he had a plan getting Mac Jones, and, and we'll see how it goes. And do you think that it really irked him that Brady won the Super Bowl? Yes, he is a competitor, uh, Coach Belichick and Brady both. I think he wants to – I think he has something to prove. He has a chip on his shoulder this year. And if I know Coach Belichick, he's going to be pushing that team harder than ever. And I would not bet against him on this year at all. Right. Uh, sorry, Jets fans. Uh, Jake, thanks so much. <laughs> All right, thanks, Brian. You got it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Back on the Brian Kilmeade Show in just a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Do you believe all white people are inherently racist? <sighs> so... I, mean, I don't know if you're backing me into a corner with that question, but yes, I, I do. Uh, I do believe that all white people are at some level, at the unconscious level, connected to racism. 
And that's Mark Lamont Hill, used to be a professor in, I think, Columbia, and now he's, uh, he's at another uh, elite institution. Mark, you, you don't... What's the matter, Allison? No, I'm trying to think where he is now. We used to have him on all the time. He used to be all over, like, all cable yeah, channels. Yeah, and he was one of the people when I first started here... Uh, I, I went and had a beer with him one time. Saw him in the street. He works uptown. Great guy. He has extreme views when it comes to race relations. But I'm telling you, you couldn't talk to a more interesting, dynamic, engaging person. He used to be here for a while. I don't know if he was ever signed, but he was on. Then he went to another channel and kind of lost track of him a little. And it just reminds me, Andrew Sullivan has this great column. He's a, he's a Republican. He's a conservative columnist that didn't like Trump. So he's one of those guys on the outskirts who's very critical of Trump's way of handling things, doing things, the way he's getting out of Afghanistan, the stance on Iraq, whatever, uh, trade deals, getting out of the TPP. So he's uh, a traditional conservative, always very bright, happens to be gay, by the way, outwardly gay. And in the beginning, they thought it was a big deal when that was first came out. Obviously, it's not a big deal now, and that's great. So he talked about his view of President Obama and how it changed and it's emblematic of how the country has changed. He writes in his, he's got a book coming out soon. He went back and said that he really thought Barack Obama in 2007 was going to be a very special president. And he said that as a conservative. And he said, if you want to know the difference between the Barack Obama then and now, look at what he said after Jeremiah Wright had those radical statements coming out. He's a reverend that came out that, that married him and Michelle, that mentored him for years, but never came out of the 60s. So he had to make a speech because he's so linked to Reverend Wright. And here's what he said, a little bit of it. Uh, Obama said of Wright's CRT-inspired words, damning America, goddamn America. Remember that? He said, this is Barack Obama now in 2007. They expressed a profoundly distorted view of this country, a view that sees white racism as endemic and that elevates what is wrong with America above all what we know is right with America. The profound mistake for Reverend Wright's sermons is not that he spoke about racism in our society. It's that he spoke as if our society was static, as if no progress has been made, as if this country, a country that has been made possible for one of its own members to run for the highest office in the land and build a coalition of white and black, Latino and Asian, rich and poor, young and old, is still irrevocably bound to a tragic racist past. That sounds like something I would say now. And what Barack Obama would never say now, what happened? America got worse? There is no way America got worse. Something happened to the Democratic power. Some force is pushing Democrats and Republicans away from each other on issues they should not be coming away. It used to be on taxes and war. Those are like the good old days. Now it's if you don't admit you're racist and white, then you're in denial or a white supremacist. And that's what he brought out. And, and I'm telling you right now, Barack Obama would sound like Reverend Wright today. And he ran from that. And part of the reason when he ran from that, he ends up winning uh, was because he acknowledged that we have made tremendous progress, got more way to go. That's why I'm going to be president. I'm going to change things for the better. And now you have Joe Biden, who he never saw a segregationist he didn't like, hanging out with Senator Byrd, spoke at his funeral, one of the featured speakers, Strom Thurmond, bragged about it. Now he is the radical leftist when it comes to race relations. I don't believe any of it. I think we made huge progress, and we'll make more if we can get out of our own way. Hey, go to BrianKilme.com, pre-order my book, President and Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at FoxNewsPodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. 
Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. Did you see that exciting space flight? Well, by Richard Branson. We're going to talk to Daryl Nail of NASA shortly. One of the best in the business of explaining things. He's spent his, uh, his family's been spent their lives in NASA. He rejoined NASA. He's been a reporter for years. He'll bring us, tell us the significance of private industry and their partnership with NASA. And also, we have CPAC over the weekend in Texas, second big convention in a very short period of time. Donald Trump, last time there was a CPAC convention, at 55% of the constituents report uh, support. Now he's got 70%. The next highest, and it's distant, Ron DeSantis. So I got Michael Goodwin this hour, too, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Taliban are laughing it up. And why not? The Taliban have taken control of most of Afghanistan in just weeks, often without firing a shot. Afghan troops are surrendering, handing over posts and weapons. Undeniable, leaving Afghanistan the way we are doing it, a big mistake. And it's all because of President Biden's gut feeling. Where's the Republican condemnation? As Chris Christie said on Sunday, they seem scared. Number two. To all you kids down there, I was once a child with a dream, looking up to the stars, to the next generation of dreamers. If we can do this, just imagine what you can do. Billionaire Boys Club. A civilian space race was all benefits to us, I believe. How Bridget Branson changed the game while Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos plan to take it up a notch. While socialist icon Bernie Sanders mocks the competition because some people are poor. Unbelievable. Number one. Do you think the priorities of national Democrats uh, may have been misplaced? Uh, yes, I, I, I do. I believe uh, those priorities, uh, they really were uh, misplaced. And it's almost uh, insulting what we have witnessed over the last uh, few years. I can't believe I'm hearing this from a New York candidate, let alone the guy who's got the Democratic nominee, Eric Adams. Crime matters. Dems are in a panic mode as President Biden speaks on crime today again. And as Eric Adams visited the White House to brief him first, New York City's Democratic mayoral primary winner, of course. He was a 22-year NYPD veteran. Looks like the defund the police crowd, the reimagined police crowd, is out of sync. But they're not going anywhere. And let's begin with Michael Goodwin, New York Post. Uh, Michael, first off, Eric Adams won, but he changed his message. Not about transportation education. He changed it to crime. What does that say about this city? Well, Brian, look, I think it is a it is a fascinating turn of events that is largely unappreciated that you had eight well-funded Democratic candidates, and only one of them, Eric Adams, uh, turned to the issue of crime as crime exploded during the campaign. It's almost as though the others were determined to ignore it. They had their talking points and they were sticking to it. And that's not to demean all of their ideas. It's just that you would think that in what clearly was a public safety emergency, a crisis uh, enveloping the entire city pretty much, that the candidates seeking to be mayor would respond. But Adams is the only one who did. I mean, others mentioned it. It would come up in debates and forums. But nobody made it the centerpiece of their campaign. Nobody else talked about right. it in, in the same way that I think was was a match for voters' concerns. And the polls were interesting, although 
I think in general, most of the polls uh, asking people what is the most important issue for the next mayor, uh, only about 30 percent said crime. But that was three times higher than any other issue. I mean, I think one one of the polls, for example, gave gave voters something like 20 choices or something. So in that large of a universe, people say, oh, I care about housing or I care about the subways or I care about schools or mental health or any number of things. But crime and public disorder uh, consistently outpolled all the other issues. Why the other candidates don't flip, I, th- I didn't flip to that, right. I, I think is a, is a great mistake. But you know why? Because they don't believe it. And Eric Adams, I hope my fingers are crossed because I, I work here every day and you live here, uh, that he believes it because there's no other choice. There's logic. This is not, we're not trimming around the edges. This is quality of life. Here's a little of the give and take yesterday that made him so different from almost every other Democrat outside Harold Ford. Cut three, cut three. In terms of laws, in terms of state or city or national gun laws, do you think the priorities of national Democrats uh, may have been misplaced? Uh, Yes, I I do. I believe uh, those priorities, uh, they really were uh, misplaced. And it's almost... Uh, insulting what we have witnessed over the last uh, few years. Uh, Many of our presidents, uh, they saw these numbers. They knew that the inner cities, particularly where black, brown, and poor people lived, uh, they knew they they were dealing with this uh, real crisis. And it took time for the president to state that it's time to stop ignoring it, and that's today. You realize how bad it is. He brought up the south side of Chicago. He brought up Los Angeles. He brought up the homeless. This is something that a Republican candidate would do. And, you know, well, there's only maybe 15 percent of Republicans in an inner city of a million people or more. So they're not, it's not going to resonate. And if he means what he says, this will be big for Democrats. But can he rally what the Democratic Party is today? Well, that remains to be seen, Brian. My, my, my fear is that, no, that Democrats are— not united in any one thing, but what what pulls them together is the fear of defeat. And so if you get the uh, the centrist Democrats like Eric Adams talking about crime, and then you have the AOC and the Talibs and the Presleys saying, oh, no, no, it's about white supremacy. It's you know, then I think the Democratic Party really begins to fray because Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer are deathly afraid that they will lose the the far left wing. And so they have kowtowed to it, even though it does not represent a majority of their own party, let alone the nation. And so I think that remains to be seen, whether Biden can do more than give a speech or two whether his policies actually meet this moment, whether he stops using uh, phrases like systemic racism to talk about law enforcement and criminal justice. Because so far, what he has done, I think, is further uh, create a a chasm between the Democratic Party and law enforcement. And so the police are human beings. They are not going to go out there and risk their lives if they don't think the political class doesn't have their back. And so far, it's very clear the political class in New York, 
California, Chicago. Nationally, the Democrats do not have their back. Eric Adams is trying is swimming upstream, but I I think he's solid on this. I think he believes this. I think he intends to do something about it. He also is very critical of the NYPD when he was in there. Ray Kelly and Bratton didn't like him very much uh, when he was there. Carrick, uh, but he was always a thorn in their side. My hope is that thorn in the side is better than the actual mess that's. Uh, in Gracie Mansion today, an embarrassment to the country, let alone the city. Well, um, also, I would just say, Brian, I agree with you, on it, but uh, now he's going to have the responsibility of creating the peace and not just being the critic. That's what I hope. I just hope someone just governs and stops forgetting about party and do what's right for a change. So uh, just to give you some stats to show that uh, Michael and, uh, Michael Goodwin in the New York Post, Fox News, is not we're not just talking— Homicides have surged 32% in cities over a million people just this year. Atlanta, uh, homicides up 43%, shootings up 41%. New York, homicides up just 9 because they were up a huge in 2020, shootings up 38 Portland, up 533% homicides, 134% in shootings. In Los Angeles, 30 and 48, same uh, categories. So I want to bring you to the Republicans as it relates to the party they're at. Chris Christie is writing a book about this, but he also called them out, especially when it comes to Afghanistan. The haphazard way that Joe Biden decided he is done with this war is criminal, in my view. Cut 16. We are the Republicans. Let's listen. And let me be clear. I think Trump was wrong, too. Yeah. I think he was wrong to, to negotiate with the Taliban. I think it was a mistake. Let's talk about the politics for a second. You know why Republicans haven't spoken? They're scared. This is typical of what's wrong with our party right now. They look at the poll numbers and they go, like Donna said, the American people are with Biden. They're with, maybe I won't say anything or maybe I'll whisper it so that later when the bad stuff happens, I can say, well, I didn't say that loud, but I did whisper it here in Foreign Affairs magazine, you know, in a footnote. I mean, look, we've seen this happen before. Let's be bold about it as Republicans and let's say, Look, I know it's not the most popular thing to keep 3,000 or 3,500 troops back there, but let's face it, Donna, we haven't lost a combat uh, troop in a year now in Afghanistan. We're talking about the kind of presence that, that Sarah talked about. We have had significant wars over our lifetimes, and we have left America to stabilize forces. And then George Stephanopoulos said, what's good is 3,500 forces? Everything, because they had the Air Force there, too. And they were, they've been, since 2014, they've been supporting not leading. Go ahead, Michael. Well, look, uh, uh, Christie's obviously right about uh, about the Republican Party in general. Uh, I wouldn't limit it to just Afghanistan, but but I think in general, Republican Party is too is too content to sort of make a make a sound and then move on. They, they don't fight for things in the same way that the Democrats do. And I have a lot of problems with Democrats obviously, but they have become the fighting party. They have become the party that tries to deliver what it promises. Uh Trump of course was that for the Republican Party, but without Trump the Republican Party still kind of sinks back into a into a uh, contented loser mentality. Well, 
know we tried, but so we're going to just, you know, drink away our sorrows or, or mumble, mumble to ourselves and slink off into the corner. I think that's just not the right spirit for the present mood in this country. A lot of really terrible things are being advanced by left-wing Democrats. And if Republicans can't get excited over these things, it's not clear what would excite them. Uh, mm-hmm. This whole thing of critical race theory, of the 1619 project, uh, of reparations, of using the government to discriminate actively against white people. I mean, this is this is really unbearable. And if Republicans can't get can't get excited about this and can't get united to defeat this kind of domestic nonsense, not to mention uh, going along with the Iranian nuclear deal, the Paris Climate Accords, all of these, you know, the World Health Organization, all of these corrupt international agreements that the Democrats are so eager to embrace. There's lots for Republicans to oppose, but they, they seem to do it in the most quiet fashion. Uh, I hear you. Uh, lastly, the CPAC over the weekend, Donald Trump got 70 percent of the uh, support of the, the votes of the supporters who should be the next presidential nominee at 55 percent a few months ago when they had the same CPAC. What changed? And does it surprise you that Ron DeSantis was the only one to be close and he wasn't? It was uh, DeSantis alone. We get without Trump. DeSantis gets 68 percent of the vote. Mike Pompeo, five. Donald Trump, Jr., four with Trump. It is uh, Donald Trump with 70 percent and Ron DeSantis with 20 uh, percent of the vote, 21 percent of the vote. No one else among the 19 potential 2024 candidates topped 1 percent. Does it surprise you? What does it tell you? Well, I think CPAC is sort of the uh, Republican equivalent of AOC in the sense that it is the most consistently uh, right-leaning organization within the GOP. So therefore, I don't think it's representative of the party as a whole. Nonetheless, I do think that there is a there is a consistency in these numbers, Brian, and it is that Donald Trump is still the leader of the Republican Party and those who vote Republican. Uh, and so, therefore, I think until he's not the leader, nobody else is going to emerge. And so you're never going to get a lot of enthusiasm for a DeSantis or a Pompeo or anybody else until it's clear that Donald Trump is no longer the leader of the party. There's nobody who can match him in terms of these key issues that the Republican Party cares about, that most Republican voters care about. I mean, his policies as president are more than campaign promises. I mean, he delivered those policies on immigration, on of trade, the trade deals. I mean, you go back to 2015, and what he's talking about then is really mo- most of what he did as president. And so Michael, the other that, thing is that is a he, great obstacle for the others. Yeah, he could lead and not run. Uh, he could still lead and not run. That's the type of presence he has. His problem is he's still going after uh, Bill Barr, which is a joke. Bill Barr's as loyal as it gets, and Mike Pence. When you're doing that, that that just makes you unelectable, yet you still lead the Republican Party. You yes, can't that, divide that, that's these the people. Conundrum. I agree with yeah. you. It's uh, it, and they're so fixable too. It's so fixable. It's uh, whatever, uh, Michael. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, frustrating, uh, Michael. Thank because he looks great and he sounded great. And he was very calm at at certain points during uh, the speech and the interviews. It was the old him, the candidate him. Uh, but we'll see what happens uh, down the line. Uh, Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Brian. All right, back in a moment. 
Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's ideological uh, rigidity, I think. There's no reason not to get vaccinated. Why are we having red states and places in the South that are very highly ideological in one way, not wanting to get vaccinations. Vaccinations have nothing to do with politics. Okay, uh, Anthony Fauci came on, was asked the same easy layup questions, never asked about the origin of the virus, never talked about the Delta variants. He was actually got a question about the fact the CDC has a different view than Pfizer when it comes to a third booster shot. That affects millions of people, tens of millions of people. So I don't really see any difference between what CDC is saying and Pfizer saying. Excuse me, Pfizer's asking permission, says we need it, and the CDC says we don't. That's the difference. And don't go around the edges like a politician. Will you be a doctor for once in your life? Will you actually factor in that people have had it and don't need the shot, number one? And number two, can you factor in that we are getting some scary stories from around the country? of people who took the virus, took the shot, young kids, and are having adverse reaction. Some are paralyzed. Other kids have swelling and fluid around the heart. What does it, what do you not understand about that? And you acknowledge that it's politics, but you don't acknowledge that Donald Trump's administration came up with it. So if it's mostly Republicans, 49% of Republicans haven't gotten the shot yet. If it's mostly Republicans that haven't gotten the shot, why wouldn't it go to your benefit to emphasize that? No, because you don't want to risk Donald Trump actually getting credit for something. That's a greater risk than people actually getting the shot. And I'll play you some of the people in, in the future, later on this hour, that have gotten the shot and have had adverse reactions. Acknowledge it. If you are the host of a show, why would you not roll in two or three clips from people from different ages that have had adverse reactions and make Anthony Fauci act like a doctor or a scientist for once? And if he doesn't have an answer, does he say they're lying? Is he say they're studying it? If you say we're actively studying every situation, but almost everybody we ask, their doctors aren't called and they aren't contacted from a Washington, D.C. medical power base. So that means nobody's studying it. we come back, I talk about the power of space. What changed this weekend? What is Jeff Bezos going to do next weekend? From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Three, two, one. Release, release, release. Clean release. Ignition. Good rocket motor burn. And 60 seconds. And that is a full duration burn, folks. We are headed to space. And the passengers in the back have been cleared to unstrap. Our predicted apogee is 279,000 feet and climbing. It's going to initiate a backflip for Spaceship Unity. This is normal. We want those windows pointed down towards the Earth to maximize that incredible view. 
There it is. It happened. Uh, we have passenger uh, civilian space travel to a degree, and it happened over the weekend on Sunday. It happened in New Mexico. Went up to the sky uh, 50, uh, 50 miles into the sky, and that was enough to go officially into space and back. And what does it mean? Because the same plane that was shot into the sky landed flawlessly, smoother than most airplanes that I could tell, and Richard Branson was on the inside. Not an astronaut, but now has his astronaut wings, and he was uh, as high as a kite yesterday, not because of drugs, but because he was actually in space and his goal was reached. Daryl Nail knows all about getting into space and back. He's been covering this for years as a reporter, as an expert, and now working uh, for, as a launch commentator for NASA. Daryl Nail, welcome back. Hey, Brian, good to be back. Thanks for having me. And of course, everybody in WDBO, our great affiliate in Orlando, is uh, is used to hearing from you as OKV2, but you used to work there, but now you live there and working for NASA. So for you guys, for you guys who do this regularly, what did Richard Branson's uh, Virgin vehicle do for you? I'll tell you, it was... Uh, you know, first of all, from just a just a human perspective, watching that uh, coverage yesterday, uh, personally for me, it was just exciting, right? Uh, because this is um, we train astronauts for years, two years, two to two and a half years, to go on missions. And my understanding is that uh, you know, in order to fly on one of the Virgin Galactic space planes, it doesn't require uh, that kind of training. Um, and so it it. What it does is not only was it exciting to see, but it feels like it opens. It's it's the dawn of the space tourism era. It feels like it's going to open that up for all the rest of us eventually. Now, to be sure, these uh, these vehicles that are flying now that the, the billionaires are are building, um, from what I've seen, you know, they, they they cost a fair amount. But ultimately, that that cost will come down. And now we're talking about space for people who really want to fly into space. And to me, that, that, that's the stuff that childhood dreams are made of. I think Branson even said it uh, in his press conference. You know, he said uh, he never did he imagine. He dreamed about going to space as a kid. But in his wildest dreams, he couldn't imagine that the experience he had when he was up there mm-hmm. for five minutes floating around the inside of his space plane would be what he experienced. He just never imagined it. So imagine if if uh, space becomes accessible to all of us. This is the beauty of these billionaires uh, investing in space. It increases access. And look, NASA has uh, you know agreements with Elon Musk, who um, of course uh, owner and founder of SpaceX. Um, we rely on them to get our own astronauts up to the International Space Station and back. And we're going to start bringing Boeing online as well. So um, there's a lot of benefit uh, to, I think they were called space barons by, uh, by a columnist uh, for, for a national newspaper. Um, maybe that's appropriate term for them. I think in, in the end, we all benefit, Brian. No, I hear you, Daryl. And it gets interest because the hardest thing is for the American people who are everybody's budget conscious, cutting budgets, oh, let's just cut space. Because we're not going to miss what we don't have yet. 
You know, it's not like we're going to say we can't go to Mars anymore. No, well, we've never been at Mars. We sent a probe up there. Then America's attention turns to it. But when you spend all of a Sunday, and that was the number one story, and then next week Jeff Bezos is going to say, I'm going to go higher, and I'm going to blast off more traditionally. I'm not going to be launched from a plane or from a craft that was already in the air. Now all of a sudden we have debate, and then we wonder when we can do it. We understand that they, Jeff, if we're to believe Richard Branson, I don't know why we wouldn't, he's got about 60 customers who have paid $600,000 for the right to be in space for a very short time, to have that free fall and to be able to look through the glass down back at Earth. Is that worth it? (laughs) Well, apparently it's worth it to them. Uh, You know, I I can only tell you this from what our astronauts say when they come back from space. And it's consistent, Brian. They all, almost all of them say the same thing. After going up to the International Space Station, which is 250 miles above Earth's surface and uh, orbit around the Earth, they come back and and they all say pretty much a, a, a variation on this theme. And that is, when I go up there, when I was up there and I looked back at Earth through the windows of the International Space Station, and I saw this little blue marble, uh, you know, out in this vast blackness of space, it really helped me appreciate a couple of things. And usually it's two things that they say. Number one, first of all, you see this world without borders. There are no lines drawn in, in, that you can see from that vantage point. You see one Earth, you see one planet. The second thing is they see a, a place that is fragile. Right, You look to the horizon, you see that thin blue atmosphere, it looks thin from up in space, and you think, you know, space is inhospitable to human life. And though we are looking for places out there in our galaxy and beyond to try to find life, be it either carbon-based like our uh, system on the Earth or some other life system, we haven't found it yet, we're looking, um, but it tells you that we're all in it together, right? That's our planet. We better care for it. We better take care of it. We better take care of each other. Right. And also, you got to look out. Uh, China, uh, not on the same page, and they're catching up. There's a cutter put a probe into Mars, too. I want you to hear what Richard Branson said about his fellow billionaires. Cut 10. It really wasn't a race. Um, you know, but um, we're, we're just delighted that everything went so fantastically well. Um, we wish uh, Jeff the absolute best, uh, and, and his, the people are going up with him j- during his flight. You know, it was great um, this morning to, yeah, to find Elon in my, in my kitchen at 3 o'clock and to come to wish us, wish us the best. Um, so, nice, so nice of him to come all this way to w- wish us well. And um, had a lovely goodwill message from Jeff as well. And I mean, so many incredible people around the world and, and so, so grateful. So what do you think? I mean, this is more, it sounds a friendly rivalry. They're saying the right things. But Bezos says he's going to have a much more elaborate uh, launch. Could you describe where he's going and why some people say that Branson didn't actually get into space? Well, for us here in America, here in the United States, we recognize, you know, 50 miles up as, you know, the edge of space. Um, Internationally, uh, it's the Kármán line which is 62 miles above Earth's surface. So there's the difference in how you see space. And really, a lot of this comes down to international treaties and and how countries 
uh, use space and share uh, space and communicate with each other about being in these areas. And so, you know, uh, it's funny, you know, you hear him talk about how Elon, you know, came to visit him and, and Jeff Bezos uh, wishing him well. Jeff, Jeff Bezos is uh, planned from what I can see, and, and NASA is, is going to be using um, his rocket when he's uh, – his new Glenn rocket when he's got it up and running um, – is he's going to launch from a rocket, the traditional, more, I guess you could say traditional, more historical style, which is space capsule on top of a rocket, carrying its passengers up to around 62 miles above the Earth's surface, and then uh, another brief period of weightlessness, and then they come back down. It, you know, to me personally, it, it seems very similar, but I imagine that the ride up has to be drastically different. Because our astronauts tell us that, you know, when they're strapped to a rocket, especially a solid rocket, that's, that's, a, rough, that's a rough ride. Wow. Um, at least in the initial part. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know about, uh, you know, what, what he's, you know, what, what it's like to ride in. in I, I guess nobody does because they haven't had anybody actually fly in their capsule. But Jason, Jeff Bezos is going to be the first to fly in his own um, uh, capsule uh, on, the, on the new Shepard rocket. So it'll be interesting. You know, it, it, what I think, and you talk about the billionaires saying all the right things. What's interesting to me is it really seems like, this is me talking, that these men generally are rooting for each other. Yes, they're competitive uh, in, in many ways, right? They wouldn't be where they, are, were, where they are if they weren't. But I really think that they genuinely want access to space to increase. They want... Uh, the low Earth economy, just like NASA, wants to promote that and build that and see it thrive. I think they all genuinely want right. that. And so, you know, they're, while they have a little fun with it, I think they do really, truly uh, root each other on. What, are the, uh, what is the proposed budget for NASA from the Biden administration? And don't you think China being there with their probe, which they probably stole from us, uh, don't you think that gets a new urgency to – getting somebody on Mars and back to the moon? Well, let me take the first part of that question. And the NASA budget proposed by the White House is $24.8 billion. Um, that's far less in terms of percentage of GDP than it was during the Apollo program. Um, less than 1%, I think. Um, and so uh, this budget, though, is 6% more than the previous budget, and it focuses on a lot of areas that are important to this administration. Earth science is one of them. Um, it continues the Artemis program, which is going back to the moon and landing uh, the first woman and um, the, the first person of color on the moon. And, and so it has those priorities in it. Now we give it to Congress, and, and we ask them to fund it, and they, they take it up and, and, and discuss it and, and, and ask us questions about it. And so we're hoping for uh, a lot of support in the halls of Congress for it. Um, with regards to to China, you know, that's pretty much set in stone in terms of what we can do with China. Congress has made a law that says we can't um, collaborate with China, um, and that's that's just kind of where it begins and ends, right? Uh, well, we and, can compete. Know, NASA, Are they ahead of us? You know, I, I wouldn't say that they're ahead, but I'd say that they are exploring the moon, right? They're getting ready to 
uh, land another probe on the south side of the moon, I believe I read. And so what we would love, we would love if they would share whatever science they learn about the moon. Because here's the important thing, Brian. Hey, Daryl, forget the moon it. Daryl, you can't trust them. It, they, they steal all the technology. You cannot be sharing with China. It, it would be our hope that they would open up what they have, right? Let all scientists, let all researchers look at the data that they have that they found on the moon, if they were to open it up, right? And, and this is where the record of our universe lies. It lies in that rock that spins, you know, that orbits around our Earth. And I'm just saying, you know, I'm hoping for the best in this situation, but uh, understandably, where the rubber meets the road, where the government has and the Congress has said, no, uh, we will not be collaborating or cooperating. I believe the intent of the bill speaks to what you just said. Right. And finally, uh, we're going to go back to what is what is the schedule? When are we going to be walking on the moon again, Daryl, when you talk to the experts at NASA? What, what do they tell the politicians? So we're still aiming for 2024, and that's the date that we put out um, a couple years ago. Um, is it ambitious? Yes. Um, it's aggressive? Yes. Um, but this is, this is big, Brian. Going back to the moon is huge. And yes, we did it before, but now technology has advanced so much that we're now taking new technologies and implementing them into this rocket and spacecraft that are going to help us but we also need to understand how they're going to perform. So right now, inside the Vehicle Assembly Building, we have the Space Launch System rocket. It is stacking, Brian, right now. It's got a core stage, two side boosters. We just put the interim cryogenic propulsion stage, which that's the stage that's going to push us all the way to the moon. We just put that on top. The next step is to eventually put the Orion capsule on the top. We're going to send that capsule around the moon on a test flight, either late this year or early next year, get back all that data, make improvements, make some changes, and then look for a test flight with astronauts a year after that flight. And then the hope is by the third flight that we put astronaut boots on the moon wow. in 2024. And now, bring of course, it- it's space. It's hard. Schedule may slip, but... But that's at least what we're targeting in this moment. That's well, that's good. And can you imagine what the video quality we're going to have now compared to the 1960s? It's going to almost feel like we're there. Uh, Daryl, thanks ah, so can much. Can you imagine? Yeah. We'll yeah. talk to you next week after Jeff Bezos does it, all right? Sounds good. Come down and see us again. Absolutely, Daryl. Thank you. Daryl Nail, uh, launch commentator for NASA, as knowledgeable as it gets. Back in a moment, uh, we'll find out if there is indeed more to know. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. You're going to have to um, Xerox or, or, or photocopy your ID to send it in to prove you are who you are. Well, there are a whole lot of people, especially people who live in rural communities, who don't. There's no Kinko's. There's no Office Max near them. Of course, people have to prove who they are, but not in a way that makes it, them, it almost impossible for them to prove who they are. That is unbelievable. 
that the vice president, again, says things he shows she is so out of touch, whether it's saying people in the inner city don't have IDs or are not capable of getting to the polls. Now she's saying in the rural communities, if you have to copy your identification in order to get a mail-in ballot or to be able to vote in a precinct, because people want to prove that they're from, uh, that they're actually from there, the person they are, that they don't have a Kinko's near them as if nobody has a printer or a copier that comes with a printer or that every farmer or people in a rural area doesn't have the science and technology and wherewithal to understand how to copy something? What do you think? They all have hired private monks to write, uh, to copy things over by hand? It's unbelievable. You don't think they have a downtown if you don't have a printer? And have you been to a farm? You know that in these farms, there's more science going on there than most cities, period, or else you're not a successful farmer. I don't know if she doesn't just do the work or lazy or has the worst staff ever, but the vice president of the United States, anytime she has to talk, and by the way, you have to see her do this, she winds up for this as if she's going to say something profound, and that comes out. Last week, there was this big story, almost no follow-up, no questions, even in all the Sunday shows, about the story about her staff being so unhappy, a brutal place to work, horrible conditions. There was no communication. They had no idea that she was even going to the border until they heard about it from the AP report. So... There's panic on the left because everyone knows Joe Biden doesn't have a future. We don't know if he's going to try for one for election, but they thought that she was a shoe in to be the future and it could be a smooth handoff and no one would probably primary her. If you're a Democrat with any ambition at all, you know that this is not the candidate of the future. Who knows? Maybe it's Eric Adams. But I will say also, did you see the shot of Eric Swalwell in uh, overseas? I think the uh, UAB. United UAE, riding on a camel without a shirt on during the pandemic when he's urging everyone not to travel. Is this guy the worst? Is he trying to be like Putin? I I guess so, on a camel. Of course, now he's suing. Uh, He's suing somebody. I think it's President Trump. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade from New York. Heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. At the bottom of the hour, Brett Bear will be joining me fresh off his uh, celebrity golf tournament. We do not know for sure how he did. Allison, would you be able to look up how he did? Because I saw on Instagram he wore bright pants on every hole. But he's a very good golfer. Joe Theismann did predict that he would win it. I believe that I would have been reported to me already if he did. And we're pr- privileged to have in-studio Governor slash Ambassador Nikki Haley. We have not had an in-studio guest from outside since the early 70s. So this is certainly a breakthrough for us, especially to have the Ambassador with us. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Taliban are laughing it up. And why not? The Taliban have taken control of most of Afghanistan in just weeks, often without firing a shot. Afghan troops are surrendering, handing over posts and weapons. Well, that was, uh, I cannot wait to get the ambassador's take on this. Undeniable. Leaving Afghanistan the way we're doing it is a huge mistake. And it's all because of President Biden's gut feeling. 
Where's the Republican condemnation? As Chris Christie said on Sunday, they seem scared. Number two. For all you kids down there, I was once a child with a dream, looking up to the stars. To the next generation of dreamers, if we can do this, just imagine what you can do. Billionaire Boys Club gets a civilian space race going. All will benefit, I promise. How Richard Branson changed the game, while Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos plan to take it up a notch, while socialist icon Bernie Sanders mocks the competition because some people are poor. Number one. Do you think the priorities of national Democrats uh, may have been misplaced? Uh, yes, I, I, I do. I believe uh, those priorities, uh, they really were uh, misplaced. And it's almost... Uh, insulting what we have witnessed over the last uh, few years. No kidding. Reimagining police, defunding police, crime matters. Dems are in panic mode as President Biden speaks on crime sometime today and notes Eric Adams, New York City Democratic mayoral primary winner, uh, wrote a law and order message to victory. Looks like the defund the police crowd has a reality problem. Are the Dems beginning to realize Americans want law and order? I say they can't, even if they do, because so many will not even acknowledge it like the squad. Uh, Nikki Haley, Ambassador, Governor. I don't know what title you prefer. It's Welcome. Nikki. Those were moments in time. No, that's no, that's on your resume, <laughs> and they could ride you right to the White House. Um, well, it's great to see you. Let's talk about what we talked about in the hall right here. That's a message we can relate to. Why do you think? I don't think the Democrats are capable of pivoting that way. So I think the Democrats realize they screwed up. I think that they know defunding the police is what caused the spike in crime. But I also think they're they're never going to admit it. They're never going to. But look, they admitted it at the voting box when they elected Eric Adams, because here's the guy that's saying, no, we don't need to defund the police. We need more troops on the streets. Whether he's right or not is a shift that shows Democrats are trying to get out of this hole they dug, but they dug it really deep. I mean, they've caused crime waves across this country in a way that's going to take truly years to recover. But we've got to do something about it now. We've got to have the backs of our blue, and we've got to make sure that they know that we're going to hold these perpetrators accountable and actually prosecute them. You're not from inside Washington, but you know what they're working on, police reform. Tim Scott leads the Republican effort, and it's gotten kind of, kind of radio silent. I think they realize they lost momentum to a degree, but you can. I'm doing features with them, talking to so many. They are for extending the academy. They are for helping the smaller towns in rural communities that don't have the funding learn the latest with police work. They are for modernizing anything they can learn, but they're not for humiliation. Well, and I can tell you, I just um, had dinner with Tim Scott just a few days ago, and we were talking about it. And the thing is, minorities want the police in their areas. They need the police in their areas, just like everybody else, because they know that that's what stops crime. The idea that the liberal elitists are claiming we don't want the police is wrong because the people on the ground do need the police. And this is going to backfire. We're going to see it backfire in 22 when we start winning elections. Back. So you have a good sense. You know what it's like to run a state. And you also know what it's like to represent this country when the U.N. ambassador reported right to the president. So you had significant power. Plus, I don't. I think we covered almost all your speeches live because there was so much, a lot of them, there was so much of impact happening, especially with North Korea. But as we look at what's happening in Afghanistan, and I know Republicans are split on this or if it's two-thirds they're against it. How do you feel about the timing of the pullout and the way it's being done right now? So my husband served in Afghanistan. As U.N. ambassador, I went to Afghanistan, um, met with President Ghani, like focused on all those things. I don't think we need to have a large presence in Afghanistan. 
But the idea is you have to have intelligence on the ground to know what they're doing. Go back to Syria. The main thing with Syria was Iran and Russia couldn't do anything because we had intelligence on the ground, because we had people with eyes and ears and they knew we would go tell. The way Biden has pulled back as fast as he is, without any thought whatsoever of making sure we have some kind of presence to hold others accountable. It's the reason the Taliban's taken over 85% of Afghanistan. This won't last six months. This won't last six months. And the problem is not what's going to be happening in Afghanistan. The problem is, is the U.S. safe? Because we no longer have eyes and ears about what those terrorists are wanting to do and if they're going to come to America. Ambassador, is the other thing this that there's to have a base, a secure base, sophisticated base in between China, Russia, and Pakistan benefited America, didn't it? It kept eyes on the ground, yeah. and that's what they were scared of. What Biden's doing is Biden doesn't know what to do with Afghanistan, so he's like, let's just pull out, and there's no thought, there's no vision, there's no strategy, and the other countries see that. And this is China's way to move in. China's going to immediately move into Afghanistan. This makes the world more more of a danger, and we're going to now not have eyes or ears on the ground at all. So what we're saying is, I think that what's underreported is, since 2014, we have not been aggressively going after. We've gone to a supporting role, but our presence, along with NATO's presence, which doubled ours, by the way, and we announced that without telling NATO first. That stuff matters. You know when you got when you guys maybe were first off and maybe making announcements, you had to go and, and mend some fences Sometimes when the White House got ahead of the message, correct, of the State Department. Well, I mean, that's the one thing is everybody said that President Trump and the Trump administration, that we isolated ourselves, we hurt our allies. It's not true. What we did was we let our allies know what we were for and what we were against. But we didn't leave them. We said, this is what we're going to do. And we talked to them about it. They may not have liked it, but we talked to them. Biden's not doing anything. Like everything he said he was going to do to mend fences is making the world more dangerous. I want you to hear what Chris Christie said and tell me if this resonates with you. Cut 17. Let's talk about the politics for a second. You know why Republicans haven't spoken? They're scared. This is typical of what's wrong with our party right now. They look at the poll numbers and they go, oh, like Donna said, the American people are with Biden. They're with, oh, maybe I won't say anything or maybe I'll whisper it so that later when the bad stuff happens, I can say, well, I didn't say that loud, but I did whisper it here in Foreign Affairs magazine, you know, in a footnote. I mean, look, we've seen this happen before. Let's be bold about it as Republicans and let's say, look, I know it's not the most popular thing to keep 3,000 or 3,500 troops back there, but let's face it, Donna, we haven't lost a combat uh, troop in a year now in Afghanistan. We're talking about the kind of presence that, that Sarah talked about. We have had significant wars over our lifetimes and we have left America well, to be stabilizing forces. And then uh, he was talking about Donna Brazil, who said we're for pulling out because that's what she does. Is he right? The Republicans scared? You know, I think Republicans need to remember that the way we keep us safe at home is to make sure we have eyes and ears on the ground there. That doesn't mean a large presence, but having that intelligence group troops, having those, it keeps everybody accountable and it lets us know what's going on. And it it's just leadership. And so I do think we need to have a presence there so that everybody knows we're watching them. Have you met Vladimir Putin? I have not. You have not. I met Lavrov, who works for... Did you know that cybersecurity and the cyber attacks and the ransomware attacks were so significant as they were? So, first of all, this has totally been misread. 
the idea that they're reporting and that Biden is supporting the fact that this isn't Russia, these are just groups that are in Russia, is wrong. Putin is smarter than that. Putin doesn't want his fingerprints on it. These groups work for Putin. He's paying them to do this. And the idea is this isn't even the big hack yet. Can we prove that? All they're doing. Can you prove that? This is what Russia does forever. Go back and look. This is just like when they kill people. It's not Putin that kills it. He says, oh, I didn't know anything about it. Russia lies over and over again. You can never trust them. These groups are they're doing this because they're testing us and they want to know how Biden's going to respond to the hack. So the hacking of the pipeline, the hacking of our food processing, what Biden do? Nothing. He gave them a list of 16 things that said don't hack. Now you see this further hack. What's Biden doing? Nothing. He should have sanctioned them with the first one and said, "Okay, you say this isn't you, but these groups are in Russia. If you can't get control of them, you're going to suffer for it. Do you are you for having an offensive cyber attack plan where you blink their lights? And can are we do you know what we're capable of? You. Yes. First of all, one, we are capable of everything and more. But two, if we went and made an example of Russia and sanctioned them, it would send a message to China and Iran and North Korea, who also are responsible and for hacking Sony. around the world, all of these things. So it's not just China or it's not just Russia we have to worry about. Every one of these countries is testing Biden. Every one of these countries is watching what he does with Russia. And the idea that he goes and has a meeting with him and doesn't in any way punish him for what happened is a huge mistake. You can't give Russia a pass because when you give Russia a pass, it gives the green light to China, North Korea, Iran, and any other bad actor to do whatever they want to the United States. We look totally like we just don't know what we're doing. And the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, I think, was his most egregious error, allowing Europe, these are our allies, and the hub to be in Germany and to go on the crack pipe of their natural gas when we're capable of giving it to them, maybe at an additional cost so we could subsidize it. But now Russia has control of their winters. We were, President Trump raised the concern of Nord Stream. I was dealing on the front lines against Germany saying we can't do this. The whole point of NATO is that we come, that we all come together to counter Russia. If you allow a Russian pipeline into Europe, and allow that dependency to happen. A couple of things happen. You endanger Ukraine in a big way. Because they bypass Ukraine. Absolutely. You give Russia everything they want. You make America less independent. And then think about it, Brian. Here Biden goes and gives the green light to Russia for this pipeline. But he closes down the pipeline in America. Like the one thing Russia hated, they hated that we strengthened our military. And they hated that we became energy independent. In one year... We have already just dropped all of that. Putin's got to be the happiest leader in the world right now. How could Germany stare you in the face and say we, it's okay to do the Nord Stream 2 pipeline at the same time they see Russia invade the Ukraine? They see them playing a role in the Middle East. How do they rationalize that to they you? They can't. We, I called them out multiple times in front of all the other European leaders and said this goes against everything NATO is supposed to stand for. You can't turn around and ask us to put more money into NATO, to build our military, to do all of these things. And, oh, by the way, let's let Germany get a pass and do this. Germany's one of the strongest members of NATO from the European side. And so the idea that they're doing this is a huge mistake. And they needed to be called out on it. President Trump did call them out on it. 
We pushed back. We stopped the ability of them doing that. And Biden, just like that, has turned around and allowed that to go through. I know you just got into New York, but they were in Texas at CPAC over the weekend. When we come back, I'd like to take your, get your impression of what you may have heard and the revolt, result of a few uh, straw polls that just came out. Best Nikki Haley actually in studio. We'll put this on YouTube later, right? You know, you're gonna be you're gonna be going against Jesse Waters. Oh, fun! Uh, who we also posted in studio guest. He did quite well, so we'll put this up. Uh, Ambassador, thanks so much. Stick around. Back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade. Newsmakers and newsbreakers here at first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This CPAC has always been kind of an odd gathering. Now it's taken over by a bunch of uh, radicals, anti-vaxxers. You know, it's a land of misfit toys. It's it's a political freak show. It's like the Star Wars bar. I mean, this is just bizarre. And the fact that they're celebrating that we're not meeting our vaccination targets is absolutely reprehensible. Uh, we all know this. I, I mean, I just can't imagine that this serious people are not showing up to this thing. I mean, look what happened. That, uh, that is Charlie Dent. Of, uh, he was on CNN, uh, former congressman. He was a Republican. He was at the, absent in, uh, the Aspen Institute, a huge critic of the president, uh, of former President Trump. With me right now is Ambassador Nikki Haley. I don't know how much you're able to say. But what did you think of CPAC in Texas? Well, you know, I think the reason he's saying those ridiculous comments is because when, you know, you get a group of people get together at CPAC, they're telling the truth. They're saying they don't want to see defund the police. They want to see more police presence. They're saying that they don't want to have choose teachers unions over kids in school. They want to see kids back in school. and They don't want them wearing masks. They're saying they don't want an open border. They want laws and they want to make sure that we build a wall like all of these things that we're saying. Democrats don't want to hear it because they know we're right. So 55% of CPAC goers uh, six months or f- about four months ago uh, were for President Trump running again. That number in a straw poll, as unofficial and unscientific as it is, 70% say now. The only person to get into double figures was Ron DeSantis with 21%. Everybody else was uh, single digits. Uh, and then in, when you pull Trump out of it, Ron DeSantis had about 60% of the vote. What is your take about the Republican Party and who the leader is? Well, I think that the Republican Party, you know, as much as people wanted to say and the Democrats want to say it's divided, we've never been more united than we are now. We see what has happened in such a short amount of time. I think Republicans also know elections have consequences and we're feeling the burn. But when you feel the burn, you have to do something about it. And that's why I've been out campaigning. Yesterday, I campaigned for the Republican gubernatorial candidate for New Jersey. I'm going tomorrow to campaign for the Republican gubernatorial candidate candidate in Virginia. Um, we're doing an event for Nicole Maliotakis. We're all over the country because I'll tell you, as much as everybody wants to talk about 24, if we don't win 22, 24 doesn't matter. We have to win the House. We've got to fight for the Senate. We've got to make sure we win these governor's races. Because if you look at what happened, I was a governor. The Republican governors did a remarkable job during COVID, a remarkable job because they understood the economy has to keep moving. They understood that Kids have to keep learning, and they understood the fact that if you provide people with the information on how to protect themselves, they will make good decisions. So I remember after January uh, 6th, you were critical of the president. So was Kevin McCarthy was critical of the president for having that rally. And then there was a report, I think, in Axios that said you want to come down and visit, and he said no. 
What's your relationship like with uh, former President Trump? President Trump is my friend. He just um, we just talked uh, yesterday or day before that he wanted me to come over for dinner. We weren't able to make it because our schedule's not working. But he's a friend, and look, I agree with every policy he ever did. I am proud that I served in his administration. Um, I disagreed with him on two things: how he handled Mike Pence, and you know, basically everything leading up to the Georgia races, and you know, the fact that we lost. But I am a friend, a supporter. His policies were good. They made America stronger. You know, I don't agree with my husband 100 percent of the time. So the idea that, you know, I took issue with the president on that, he knows that I've always told him the truth. That's why we got along so well. I think it's bad when the president doesn't get along with William Barr and Mike Pence, because you could say that along with yourself, maybe co-MVPs of his four years. Well, you know, I think that what's important is the president never got a moment's peace. He never got an ounce of credit. It was a brutal four years to watch how hard he had to fight. And there were many of us alongside of him that were defending him, supporting him, and will continue to because we believed in what he did. And I think he knows that. I think this has just been a hard time for him. And I think that, um, you know, it's hard to see when you've built up a country to such strength to watch it just go to the wayside within just a few months. And I would have to say my opinion now, if the Republican Party isn't utilizing you, they're not going to have any success in 2022. And I look forward to your next challenge. You will not run if the president runs? I would never run against the president. I, I am a loyal supporter to him. I always will be. He's a friend. I would never do it. Ambassador Nikki Haley, thanks so much. Thanks. All right. Great to see you. Uh, back in a moment with Brett Bear. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I have been of this opinion, and I remain of that opinion, that I do believe at the local level, Jake, there should be more mandates. There really should be. We're talking about life and death situation. We've lost 600,000 Americans already, and we're still losing more people. That is uh, Anthony Fauci uh, talking, saying the same thing over and over again to the biggest layup questions you've ever heard in your life. Uh, Nobody's saying to him, wouldn't it be better if you would acknowledge the fact that this was uh, actually pioneered the vaccine during the Trump administration? Wouldn't that help people politically oriented understand that they might be able to trust it? Wouldn't it be worthy of an anchor saying, do you think it helped when Kamala Harris and Governor Cuomo came out and said, if Trump came up with a vaccine, would I take it? No. Do you think that helped? Is there any difference between them? Those are the challenging questions that Tim Russert used to ask all the time. Did you get ready, ready with Chris Wallace? You just don't get it. And it's so frustrating as um, as Anthony Fauci comes out and just tells people, get over it, and not acknowledging that some people are uh, acting adversely towards this vaccine. Not many, but there are some. Is anyone studying that? Joining us now, uh, maybe a parent, uh, a parent, an anchor that might be have some of the same concerns, chief political anchor of Fox News, anchor of Special Report, uh, Brett Baer joins us. Brett, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Hey, Brad, everybody's A block over the weekend was this virus, why people aren't getting vaccinated, uh, why we seem to be stalled, and the Delta virus, do we need a third shot? Right. And Fauci said, not yet, because we have to get everybody else vaccinated. Um, 
listen, I, I think people can ask their doctors and their personal health situation. Uh, yeah, are there uh, concerns about different people having uh, worries about the vaccine? Yes, but um, overall, if you look at those numbers, uh, they're 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 pretty small. And so, you know, we have you, you mentioned a parent. I mean, we obviously have a son with with uh, congenital heart defects and has gone through open heart surgeries, as you know. And um, that was a tough decision for us. But we listened to our cardiologist and and he got the shots. He got the vaccines. He hasn't had any ad- adverse effects um, and neither have we. So it's a personal decision. And it is something that um, I think you have to ask all those questions to all of those health experts, uh, because there's still a number of things we, we don't know. True. I'd rather not uh, see doctors mocking people for not taking it when I've interviewed. Listen, I took it, and um, everybody except one member of my family has taken it. I am not a doctor, and I chose to take it. But what bothers me, there doesn't seem to be any science or any medical professional or organization studying why there is adverse reaction to some. For example, here's this, uh, a woman, Kansas, uh, Candace, and she talks about getting the vaccine and everything changed. Cut 29. 85 days later, I still have numbness from my feet up to my chest. I feel like a pincushion on a daily basis. I don't have any balance. I can walk right. with a walker. My toes have electric shocks that go in and out. Okay. I feel like I'm in a compression stockings from my 15 compression stockings from my chest down. And I have a friend that's son is a is an elite soccer player that took the shot at 17 years old and now can't exert himself because he's got swelling of the heart. So to dismiss concerns, even though the numbers are low, at the same time, the numbers are even smaller for the chance of a five-year-old getting it, but they're still recommending they all wear masks. If you do get it as a kid, you're not going to suffer any of the effects. Almost impossible to die. The numbers are tiny. But yet you won't pay attention to people, won't pay attention to people that are having adverse re- reactions, but you're going to mandate that every kid in school wear a mask if they're not vaccinated. You can't people figure this out, Brett. Yeah, and they do over time. Not to mention all the people who have had COVID who are still being asked to get vaccines and arguably, you know, there's some studies there that suggest that they have pretty good immunity too. Um so I agree there are tons and tons of questions and um I think, you know, I keep on going back to the personal choice, but yeah. it is, and it's it's uh, something that you have to go through with your family and talk to your doctor. And I just don't want to see kids wearing masks in schools. If teachers don't want to get the vaccine, don't make the kids uh, get it. We've learned enough. I don't think it should be distance. Stop traumatizing a generation of children enough. Uh, and I think that if you have the wherewithal and your public school is making you wear a mask again, if you can afford to go to a private school that doesn't, I really think you should, um, but that's my recommendation, but I'm not demanding like Anthony Fauci wants me to. On these voting laws, um, I'm pretty amazed that uh, we seem to have a huge push towards getting rid of the filibuster now, a special provision, Jim Clyburn pushing it, because they say the Republican legislatures in many of these states are so draconian with their new voting rules, they have no choice. 
What is the reality of getting the filibuster thrown out so they could pass voting laws in the Senate? I, I don't think it's a reality, but I agree with you. It continues to be pressed by Democrats like Jim Clyburn, who wants an exemption, an exemption not to, to bust the filibuster for all time, but just for this one voting rights bill. And that's not how it works. Um, you don't just say we're going to suspend the rules for this. Um, he wants that to happen. I don't think that they're going to have the votes to make that happen. The other thing is, is that if you look at the specific rules and, and the specifics in some of these laws, you know, you do a compare and contrast with some place like Delaware, the president's home state, um, where they didn't have any early voting. Uh, and, you know, it, there were specific provisions in the Georgia law uh, that actually expanded some some efforts. Um, so it, it's pretty interesting to see the the characterizations of these laws uh, as being draconian when arguably, um, while they make some changes, they expand other things. Isn't it interesting, Brett, though, 70 percent, maybe higher of the American public thinks voter ID is a good good move? And that it's not bias or sexist or or some type of negative uh, connotation, and that suddenly they seem to have changed. I want you to hear what Chris Christie said yesterday on this week with George Stephanopoulos. Cut thirty-five. The rhetoric here outstrips what's actually being done. Let's look at the Texas bill. The existential threat to voting is by saying we can't have twenty-four hour voting or drive-through voting. That's an existential threat. When in addition, you're adding more days of early voting. You're adding more drop boxes. That's all in the Texas you, law. It, it, now, look, you want to have a fight about whether the Fed should control this. Chair let's, have a, let's have a vote on it. It's true. I mean, if you yeah, look I mean, at the Georgia law, point. too, exactly. the water, no water on the line was not true. They said you could have it before you get there. They just don't want people buying your vote, providing you sandwiches till you vote a certain way. I get that. That makes sense. But they said, well, you had the president of the United States said this, you can't give anybody water, that's sick, and it's uh, Jim Crow 2.0. Where do you think this is heading? And in Texas, I think they've gotten it through, correct? Yes. Um, I, listen, I think that we'll probably see a, a pushback uh, from Democrats in the state legislatures where they gained seats, um, some of them, and – you know, it might be a little tougher to get some through some of these changes. But again, to Chris Christie's point, a number of the changes expand uh, voting. And it's it's kind of, you know, 24 hour voting. What, what does that do to a, a municipality that has to staff that, you know, 24 hours? Um, it, listen, I think there's a concern about abusing the system and a concern about expanding the ability of people's right to vote. And it's that fine line between the two. Uh, I don't think it's going anywhere in the United States Senate. So let's go to Afghanistan, a place uh, you know well, and you have as many military contacts as anyone I know. Uh, Richard Angle on Meet the Press yesterday on what he's seeing on the ground. Cut 12. The Taliban are laughing it up in this video reposted by a Kabul police spokesman. And why not? The Taliban have taken control of most of Afghanistan in just weeks often without firing a shot. Afghan troops are surrendering, handing over posts and weapons. The Taliban give each soldier the equivalent of $80, pocket money 
for the trip home. The United States spent more than $80 billion to train and equip Afghan security forces. The return on investment so far is low. The pullout has, I guess, the, the commander, Miller, is out now. He's just not going to do it. And this pullout's been so haphazard and, and little prepared. I don't care if you're tired of war. Who could support the way we're leaving, uh, Brett? Yeah, uh, the commander relinquished um, his command today, Afghanistan time. And, um, you know, for all the people who said, you know, this is what's going to happen, um, it's not a sense, I don't think, of vindication. It's it's of sadness after as many years as we've spent, as much blood as we've and treasure as we've expended. And um, I've been over there, and, you know, there was always an expectation that America was going to have a Kentucky Fried Chicken on the, on the corner block and a McDonald's around, you know, Kabul. And that's not what happened, and that's not the place that um, – that it could happen because it's it's um, very tribal and uh, they're going to go back to a lot of that, especially in the outskirts outside of Kabul. It's just uh, amazing. There was a way to do it. You could gradually let go of the Air Force. You could gradually let go of the contracts. You could gradually stop paying the salaries and then allow these women to get more of a foothold. But where are these Me Too movement uh, people when we watch the women go back into uh, the basements and back into the burkas and out of school? I don't know how they're going to turn away from that. Um, uh, I, and everyone's going to be criticizing President Biden, but unless these Republicans speak up now, because President Trump had him out earlier, but Senator Graham told me and General Keene indicated to me that they were talking to him and he never would have left like this. But I want to fast forward to CPAC over the weekend, a straw poll, Donald Trump 70% support. Last time they had a CPAC conference a few months ago, he had 55% support. What does that tell you? Still a strong, powerful political figure um, in at least the conservative wing of, of the Republican Party, but arguably the Republican Party overall. Um, I do think, you know, his speech will give him a lot of attention, focusing back on January 6th. And um, for Rep- the Republicans, it, it's going to be a, a tough haul if he does decide to launch. Uh, this this run in 2024, they're going to have to get back independents and Republicans that they lost because of what happened on January 6th. Um, and so I think it's going to be a bumpy ride. I do think he has a lot of political power, though. All right, Brett, we'll look forward to seeing you tonight at 6. And next time we're on, we've got to talk about your golf game and your pants. <laughs> All right, man. <laughs> you got it. Brett Bear, thanks so much. When we come back, we're going to find out if there's more to know. I have a sense there is. Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I'm checking my watch. I believe it's time to see if I need to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Wow, engagement rings, not a surprise, are soaring now as Americans recover from the pandemic. They can actually have a wedding or have decided to get married. Together, it's been an incredible year. Very, uh, I guess, agonizing. And anxiety riddled, especially if you're waiting to get married. Does this surprise you, Allison, that the nuptials, long postponed, are now causing a boon for jewelry sellers? 
I'm not surprised about the wedding bands, right? Because people have to push off their wedding. But the engagement rings, I think, is interesting, right? Sort of figure, if you had nothing else to do during the pandemic, why not just get engaged? But don't you think it's a great testing for your for a relationship? That is true. Nothing to do, nowhere to go. If you survive the pandemic with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you should stay together forever. Right, or both. Next. Matt Damon said the research he did to prepare for his role as a Trump supporter and oil rigger on the upcoming movie Stillwater was really eye-opening. You talk about naive. Listen to this guy. Oklahoma, I think, I think was the reddest state <clears throat> in the last two elections. Um, and you talk to those roughnecks, they're always going to vote. I mean, they're in the oil business. Their livelihood depends on that. He is who he is, and he's from where he's from, and the movie has a lot of empathy for him, and so do we. These guys don't apologize for who they are or what they believe ever. Do you own a gun? Yeah, I got two. Being invited into, into their homes, into, into you know, a, a backyard barbecue, and the guitar comes out, and somebody starts singing church songs, and it's like it's a culturally very specific place and very different from how he and I grew up. Listen, I, I've met him. I think he's, from what I can tell, he seems like a great guy. He's way to the left. But to me, the naive way in which he's describing people from Oklahoma, as if he went to Iceland and found the indigenous people, the original Vikings in woolly mammoth uh, shawls. What is he talking about? Does he just go from Los Angeles to, to Washington to New York? Well, he probably does. But I will say he sounded very sincere, and it sounded like he did genuinely like all of the people that he met. Fine, but why is he? He's like 40-something. He really has never met anyone for, who's from a red state in Oklahoma. It's like you're not going to believe there is life in Oklahoma. They walk around on two feet, and they <laughs> sing sometimes, and some even know how to play the guitar, even though I haven't taught them. While playing it was church songs. They're not just like playing a popular song. It's a church song. That's very good. He goes on to say, they all have goatees, the sunglasses. They're not six-pack ab guys, but they're strong. He added, they wore jeans and fiery tartan that changes the way guys walk. All right. I'm just saying, I'm, I would, I'm amazed at, that he's amazed. But I think it just goes to show how much of a bubble Hollywood yes. truly lives in. I know. But they're so happy in their bubble, they want to make us live in that bubble. I, ne- I don't want it. They don't want us in, and we don't want in. That's the problem. They can't believe we don't want in their bubble. They don't want us in. Got it? Actually, I do get it. Thank you. Next. United CEO, and my fingers are crossed now, uh, is hoping to get rid of airline masks no longer in the middle of uh, somewhere in the middle of of September. I'm not going to play any cut from there, but my hope is this guy, Scott Kirby, says he's predicting September 13th when the mask mandate evaporates, it'll be gone for good. I hate wearing the mask more than anything else. I don't want it. I don't think they work. Uh, uh, maybe they get things down for certain people. I've never had it. I wear it minimal as possible. I don't wear it on subways. I don't wear it on trains, and no one even asked me about it. I agree with what you said. Do you think, though, they're going to keep it because they don't um, they don't like the vaccination numbers? They're going to keep on doing that until more and more because people are Because they're worried about the Delta variant. No, they want people to keep their mouths shut. <laughs> and they want to have control. Next, Charlottesville over the weekend removed three monuments to Civil War uh, Civil War Confederate heroes Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson, as well as getting rid of Lewis and Clark and Sacagawea. Evidently, Sacagawea looked too submissive. My feeling is you want to do Lee and you want to do Stonewall Jackson. I'd like to know what your thought pattern is, where are they going to go. Uh, number three, too, you can't get rid of Lewis and Clark. Tell me if you want to do a different design. But what are you talking about? Lewis and Clark, you have a problem with them? 
It's crazy. But apparently the statues are in storage right now, and they're figuring out where to put them next. Well, here we go. By the way, it is kind of mysterious. They go up in 1924, and yet the war ends in 1860, uh, you know, 1865. So you wonder what, were the, what the message they were trying to send then. Hey, uh, listen, thanks so much for listening. Keep it here. If you want to order any of my books or the new one, um, the President Freedom Fighter, BrianKillMe.com. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.